Welcome to episode 15 of Inspect. My name is Ajay Kawal and my guest this week is someone I've been looking forward to speaking with for a while now. He's the host of Developer Tea, a podcast about some of the less talked about skills required to be a good developer. He's also co-founder of the Spec Network of Podcasts and CTO at Whiteboard. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Jonathan Control. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. I, I've really enjoyed the episodes that I've heard of uh, Inspect and uh, I've been trying to coordinate with you for a long time. I'm really bad at, at email, actually. Of all the things that, that I do, email is probably the last on my talent list. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? We've been, we've been sort of, you know, throwing dates uh, back and forth for quite a while now. But uh, yeah, it's good to finally have you on. Um, you know, like I mentioned, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've wanted to have you on as a guest for quite a while. Um, if you've ever listened to any of the previous episodes, you may have heard me mention a few times that uh, Developer T was actually the first tech podcast that I subscribed to. And it was kind of the inspiration for me to want to get into doing podcasting for myself as well. So um, That's so, so exciting for me to hear because I, I really believe podcasting can be uh, a huge, uh, uh, really just a, a good practice for developers, quite honestly, you know taking these ideas that we work with every day and creating a podcast with those ideas, it's kind of a, an interesting translation process, right? Have you found that that's been, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to explain, you know, it's, it's hard to verbalize some of the stuff that makes, uh, makes up our jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, one of the main reasons I wanted to to start this in the first place was just to just to build up some um, some sort of confidence for speaking about a topic at length and um, you know something like present, presenting at an event is something I've always wanted to do or uh, you know just just to be able to uh, present at meetings at work and things like that um, so I figured this would be a good place to start for me to just talk about a topic uh, behind a microphone and uh, just get comfortable with um, basically presenting really. Um, and and the whole the whole sort of interview process of throwing questions back and forth to to people as well about a particular topic, and um, yeah, it's just good to to have a, uh, an opportunity to talk about talk about development with other developers, people who I don't work with and spend time with day on a daily basis, who have got very different ideas to myself and work in very different industries as well. So it's good to just get a, a good um, cross section of the industry, I suppose. Yeah, and congratulations on doing more than. Uh, what most people are able to do. I mean, putting out 15 episodes is in and of itself an accomplishment. So congrats. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, still quite a few numbers away from the sort of uh, episode count that you're on. And, uh, you know, obviously you're, releasing, <laughs> you're releasing quite a few episodes every week, which is brilliant. Um, but, yeah, we can get into, obviously, your podcast and your process um, yeah, a little later on. Um, sure. But I thought if we could start just a little bit about about who you are and what your background is because uh, I'm sure most of the listeners of this show probably are familiar with your show as well and may have some information about you but for those who don't um who is Jonathan Control and uh, you know where did you grow up what your experience or how did you get into web development and what lead you led you up to where you are now yeah absolutely so um i grew up uh, i have one sibling and uh, my parents uh, and I, we all four of us moved quite a bit when I was younger and, uh, we moved around in the, in the United States here. And, uh, so I was born in the Western part of the country, um, and lived there for a couple of years. And then we moved kind of to the middle of the country. Then we moved back to the same place we were in. 
uh, in the western part of the country, and I stayed there until I was, oh, I guess I was uh, around fifth grade, so somewhere around 10 or, 10 or 11 years old. I don't remember how old I was, uh, when we then decided to move to the southeastern part of the country. So um, those three areas of the country are very different from each other. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, my parents lived in England for a little while. Um, oh, really? So we've, we've been all over the place. Uh, my sister was born in, in middle North America, like the pretty much right in the middle North part of the United States in a state called North Dakota. So we've, we've been everywhere. Um, so I, I had a lot of time in my personality. I'm, I don't know if you would know this from hearing me on a podcast. I think a lot of developers have the same kind of thing, but, uh, I'm an introvert. By, by nature, I, I get energy out of spending time alone. In fact, today I yeah. kind of took an off day uh, from working and I went and just spent time totally on my own. And, you know, if you're an extrovert, that can be really exhausting. But for me, yeah. it's it's a recharge. Uh, so I think uh, being an introvert, go I ahead. Think, oh, no, I was going to say, I think that's quite a common trait amongst developers uh, as well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I was listening to an episode of uh, of Layout. Last week, I think it was like maybe two episodes ago. Uh, layout is also on the Spec Network, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they were talking about being introverted and ex- uh, extrovert as well. And um, I th- yeah, they came up with a similar conclusion that people in the sort of, uh, design development industry are generally a little bit more introverted and and like to be alone with their own thoughts and yeah. uh, not necessarily don't like being around other people, but don't really go out of their way to uh, you know be the life and soul of the party. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think I think it's important to recognize and I have maybe a, a differing theory about introvert and extrovert uh, or introvert version and extroversion than the average person might have. Um, I think they aren't really on the same scale necessarily. Like, I don't think they're diametrically opposed from each other. And I mm-hmm. also think it's kind of like saying, uh, do you like coffee or tea? Right. Um, because. There's so many different varieties of coffee and so many different varieties of tea mm-hmm. uh, that to say that, you know, hey, I, I do like coffee, that's giving it a big lump sum kind of way of thinking about it. So being an introvert, there's so many different types of introversion. You know, I'm an introvert that likes to be active while I'm introverted. Some introverts like to be very calm and, and not, you know, not active. So there's, there's a lot of, you know, I can be with a very small group of people uh, and, and recharge in that scenario. I think uh, a lot of people take on, and par- partially because the studies that have come out uh, recently kind of create that diametric opposition, um, but I think there's a lot of people who would benefit from, uh, you know, not trying to become deeply one or the other but rather recognizing parts of their personality that might fall in both. Like I like coffee and tea, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't have to, you don't have to dive into that, you know, one side as your only personality trait and, and, uh, you know, create this, this continuum where you have to fall in one spot of it. There are times in, in ways of my life, you know, with developer tea, I'm talking to a very large number of people, right? And, um, that's that's that would be an extrovert trait that I have, and so there's you know, so it it kind of depends on how you look at it, but I think we have a bias towards thinking um, 
in false, uh, uh, what is it? False dichotomy is the word for it. I've talked yeah. about false dichotomies on developer T, but uh, we have that bias of thinking in, in false dichotomies because it simplifies things. And I can ask you, you know, are you a introvert or an extrovert and try to get a heuristic for what kind of person you are. Um, sure, sure. But, you know, largely speaking, uh, I display mostly introvert traits uh, with the occasional extrovert trait. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I suppose me starting a podcast is uh, a step towards becoming more extrovert as well from a, a, a generally introverted background as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, and I think developers share that introversion because it gives us time to kind of study, right? Like if I'm alone uh, as an introvert, and that's not to say that extroverts don't study, but rather that my uh, the thing that I'm going to be professionally best at is going to be something where I feel okay, you know, being alone and isolated for hours on end, and and that's that is truly. Uh, something that happens to developers regularly. You know, we have two or three or four hours worth of highly focused development time. And if you, if you can't handle that well, then being a developer is going to, that might be difficult. There are absolutely highly collaborative environments, but at some point, most likely if you're developing anything of any consequence, uh, unless you're constantly pair programming, there's probably going to be a period of time where you are pretty much isolated. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so you, you mentioned, uh, just going back to sort of like where you grew up and stuff, you, you mentioned quite a few areas around uh, around the US. Um, so where are you based right now then, uh, in specifically? So now I'm in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is, if you were to get in a car and drive uh, northeast, or I'm sorry, northwest from Atlanta is about an hour to an hour and a half uh, northwest of Atlanta. Right. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, what's it? What's it? What's it like? I mean, what's the sort of tech scene like in in the areas? So the tech scene is um, it's growing. Uh, it's been growing for a few years now. We just now uh, downtown Chattanooga. We just now got kind of this installation, kind of institutionalized approval of something called the Innovation District, and Whiteboard is uh, actually in that Innovation District. We were there before they called it that, but. Uh, quite a few companies are kind of in that area, and there's there's not a lot of um, you know super well known startups necessarily. We have a few logistics startups, a few uh, tech based startups, a few client agencies like Whiteboard. Uh, but the tech scene has been growing for a long time, and in part because we have a uh, uh, basically, and this is going to sound bad, but it's actually a really good thing. We have what amounts to state sponsored internet here. And it's not sponsored in the way that, you know, I don't have to pay for it, but rather it is, it's like a utility, right? So okay. um, the, the power board in Chattanooga, they created a smart grid to essentially know when power went out, right? Because TVA, which uh, if you know much about the history of uh, the Southeastern United States, you probably know a lot about TVA, um, Tennessee Valley Authority was established, you know, in, in the early 1900s and basically is kind of like the the people who brought power uh, to the Southeast, um, for lack of a better explanation. And uh, as a result of that, you know, we have a lot of innovative ways of thinking about managing power and power distribution. So one of the things that uh, EPB is the name of the company, by the way, 
uh, EPB created this smart grid that basically is, is connected with fiber and it reports back to a central location when power goes out, you know, on a certain street block. And if you go look it up, they have some like a case study or two. Basically, they've been able to uh, uh, decrease the amount of time that it takes, number one, to isolate where the problem is, and number two, to actually fix the problem, it's like 10 times faster with a smart grid, right? So that was like in uh, the early, uh, I think it was around 2010 maybe or earlier. Uh, I, I actually wasn't living in Chattanooga when this happened, but after that, they realized, hey, wait a second, we've got this fiber that's running all over the city. Like it's, it's laying over, you know, most of Chattanooga. Why don't we use that fiber not only to communicate back, you know, when power goes out, but also just to carry the internet, right? So mm-hmm. they started sending really fast internet. And we were actually, I believe, the first city in the United States to get uh, uh, residential gigabit internet access. So at my house, I have a gigabit of uh, my, my internet speed is a gigabit. Um, so it's super fast, right? Yeah. So this, this has enabled, this is a draw for businesses. It has enabled a lot of people, um, you know, just because it's, it's, it has kind of that marketing (laughs) major draw to say, Hey, you know, your, your internet bill is going to be very, uh, uh, controlled. EPB is never going to sell your data. Right. There's there's all of these things that, hey, I, I work on the Internet every single day. This makes a big impact on my life and it makes a big impact on my work. So now we have 10 gigabit uh, that's actually available residential. I could get 10 gigabit Internet connection in my house for like 200 bucks. It's crazy. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've got a 50 megabit over here in my house. Um that yeah, that's the base. I mean, the the max it goes up to is about two hundred. Yeah. Um, yeah, for around the same price that you're getting, ten gigabits, yeah. about two hundred. So. And the truth is, you can probably do most of what you need with that fifteen megabits, at least for now, right? Um, yeah, it's it's enough for you know for browsing the internet, for doing my work, and you know, streaming movies and uh, downloading music or whatever I need to do. It's enough. Uh, but obviously, you know, more is always. <laughs> it helps. Yeah. Well, and, and as media becomes more and more, you know, higher and higher resolution and more people have access to that media, well, now your computer is going to relatively feel slower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. All right, cool. And um, so you you work at a, an agency, Whiteboard. Uh, you're the CTO of Whiteboard, right? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Have you been in a sort of development background for quite a while now or... Is this something you sort of worked into more recently? No, I did not come from a development background. Uh, none of my family is working in computers. You know, when I was a young kid, my dad would assemble his own PCs. And he did that mostly, you know, to be able to use word processing and that kind of stuff. Hmm. You know, I remember a little bit of him, uh, uh, you know, running very simple commands on the command line to manage the disk and that kind of stuff, right? Uh, MS DOS, uh, there, but there wasn't a lot of that. Uh, my dad is actually uh, a pilot and he's a mechanic, but he never really got into software development. Sure. Um, my mom is a teacher, and uh, uh, so neither of them really had a heavy tech background. I 
started playing music when I was uh, probably 10 years old. Uh, actually, I was playing earlier, but really taking it seriously and enjoying it deeply. Uh, started playing guitar 10, 11, 12 years old, around the time that I moved to the Southeast, actually. Yeah. And so uh, I played music throughout high school. I thought I was going to go into professional musicianship. Uh, I, I wanted to go and basically be either I wanted to, you know, strike it big and go and play on the road and, uh, uh, you know, live that lifestyle, or I wanted to uh, be a studio musician. Either one uh, was okay with me. So I went to school and I started learning about, uh, uh, I started my music uh, degree program and pretty quickly realized, okay, this is, this is not quite what I want to do. And it was kind of a weird realization, right? Because you spend a lot of your kind of passionate years as a teenager where you're forming the way that, you, you know, the, the first time you're really thinking about what am I going to do, uh, uh, you know, once I leave home is like at 13, right? And my answer to that was this thing. I wanted to go and be a musician. And so, you know, I was in bands growing up. I was doing all that stuff. And I went to college and I started studying music and it turns out and that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I realized that it wasn't because I didn't like music anymore. I didn't suddenly lose an appreciation or love for playing, you know, guitar, right? Uh, instead, what I, what I realized was most of that degree program was about uh, training you about the theory of music, right. um, not training you how to be successful as a musician. Right, right, yeah. And I wanted to be successful as a musician. I wanted to spend my time, you know, learning how to record and distribute music. I wanted to spend my time um, becoming better in the studio. Yeah. So what I decided to do was stop that decree program, which was difficult, by the way, uh, to do because it's, you know, again, you're, it feels like, hey, am I throwing away my dream here? What's going on? But I stopped that degree program, and, and instead I moved into, I actually started um, a journalism program, but then I switched to a communications uh, with an emphasis in advertising. And so that's what I studied. I studied communications. And that's what I got my undergrad degree in. Right. During the process of getting that communications degree, I wanted to find a way to connect with the world beyond where I was. And... The most natural thing to me was the internet. Uh, I wanted to take my, you know, kind of my portfolio as a person. I didn't really, by the way, I was terrible at figuring out marketing back then, but uh, I kind of wanted to present myself as a professional musician slash designer sort of photographer. I had like a whole list of things that I wanted the world to know about. <laughs> me. Uh, none of which apply today, by the way. Uh, don't carry on playing music now? Uh, I, I do play music still, and uh, I play mostly for myself. I play a little bit uh, in, in a church that I attend here in the States, um, and I pl I've, I've recorded a few times with my wife. My wife sings, and she's okay. a very good singer, but I haven't, I haven't really you know, tried to push that to a mainstream audience, uh, and I don't really plan, like I don't see, I don't really have a drive to do that anymore. Uh, it's kind of a weird, and it's not because I lost a dream, it's... Yeah, it's kind of all or nothing, isn't it? Yeah, the the music industry has kind of changed, and you know I don't really see why I would do that if 
I get fulfillment out of just playing. Like truly what I wanted to do was just play. And and I didn't realize that as, as a teenager, I thought I, you know, I thought I wanted to be famous and I don't really, I don't really care about being famous. Yeah. You've just got a passion for actually playing. Yeah. So that's, you don't need to do it for money. You can do something else for money and just keep that on the side. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that led me to, to developing websites. And right. uh, when I started, I knew nothing. Um, I had no formal training. I had nobody who was teaching me. Quite honestly, I was Googling uh, in, in my uh, my apartment, <laughs> Googling how to do certain things. I saw a site that I liked and tried to replicate some of the stuff they were doing, you know, and didn't even know what it meant to plagiarize a website back then. I just liked it and um, wanted to figure out how they were doing what they were doing. And just started deconstructing things and figuring out ways of, of making something my own. And uh, I ended up um, running into, this is kind of, this is super old school. And anybody who learned web development back in the, you know, 2008, 2009, you will probably recognize this. But uh, there was a blog or a, a, a couple of blogs actually called the Fuel Network. And uh, the Fuel Network was run by Adele Charles who I believe is now working at Bitly, or she was working at Bitly as a designer. Uh, she was excellent. She had, uh, the biggest one was Fuel fuel Your Creativity, but I actually worked as the editor. Yeah, I remember Fuel Your Creativity. Yeah. I remember that site. Yeah, it was an excellent site. Uh, uh, really good for designers that were, you know, wanting to think, uh, uh, you know, wanting to work on their kind of perception and getting involved with the community. And it actually was a, a really cool thing because... Uh, we had the opportunity to to write content that, um, you know, it was one of the first blogs in that space. So in any case, I ended up being the editor of uh, Fuel Your Interface, um, FYI. And I was totally underqualified. <laughs> I, was, I can't believe that they actually trusted me with it. Um, but it ended up being a really good thing because that's when I really cut my teeth on uh, you know, uh, publishing schedules and talking about things in a way that people can grasp what you're saying. And that was really, really important to uh, even what I do today with Developer T. I started learning about that back then. So then moving forward, I ended up getting a internship as a front-end web developer. Uh, I thought that I wanted to be a designer still. And I applied for an inter internship as a designer. And it turns out that what I was doing with front-end web development, I didn't realize that I was actually, you know, was, that was a more valuable skill set for me. I was better at that than I was at design. I had no idea because I didn't have any reference, uh, no reference points, right? I didn't even know what front-end developer meant. It was, it was so early in that, uh, at that stage. And so I, I got that internship and that kicked my tail because... I was presented with new problems like I had to build, you know, every every front end web developer, you should have to build your own uh, uh, image carousel on web standards from 2011. <laughs> it was oh it was difficult, uh, yeah. complete with text that was turned 90 degrees and all that stuff. That, that's like that's like the, the rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah, that's what that's the, that rite of passage was so important because uh, that's where I started realizing, hey, this is like some really interesting and complex problem solving, and actually, I love it. I really enjoy it. That's what. That's when it was. Uh, that's when it was all problem solving because it wasn't easy back then. It, it was. Uh, yeah, it was know, very different. 
yeah, you had, you know, people had some good ideas on what they wanted to achieve, but the web just wouldn't let them. And uh, you, yeah, you, there was all sorts of hacks uh, to yeah. sort of bring your designs to life on the web. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, uh, the yeah, it was very different. Yeah. That was still when we were slicing PSDs, and you know, yeah, long before Bootstrap. Oh yeah, yeah, Bootstrap wasn't even thought of, and in fact, Twitter was barely a thing. I mean. We're we're talking about you know in terms of web years this was this was kind of the the early years still uh, especially in terms of like design web years right um, mm. MySpace was just out the door I guess well I guess it had been a little bit longer than that but um, people were starting to care about design you know on a on a popular level right but it was still very early. So we still had very disparate web standards between browsers and, you know, video doing video work was, uh, impossible. It was very difficult. Um, you know, the very first, uh, sites with full screen backgrounds and that kind of thing were just now coming out. So it was right after, you know, the, the fixed width, you know, the 960 grid, it was right after that was finally people started saying, okay, we don't have to do that anymore we can do more interesting stuff yeah. that's when i kind of was dropped into uh, that internship and after that inter in really during that internship as well but after that internship uh i had good friends that went to the same undergrad college as me and they were starting a company and uh you know it was, it was really cool because we worked together on projects here and there we would you know we'd get paid and split up the money and then go our separate ways it was a lot of fun um very interesting kind of period of my work life because you know it wasn't super structured it's it was in every sense of the word freelance right um and and that those those two guys are taylor and eric and they ended up starting whiteboard and i actually went off to college uh which is why i wasn't uh you know one of the founders of whiteboard but uh, I went off and uh, did my master's degree, and effectively after that, you know, came right back and and started full time. Uh, and uh, I take it they are still still they're still with the company, and it's. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah, and we work. You know, we still work very closely together every day, uh, and and it's you know it's it's a challenge to work with your friends, but it is uh, very fulfilling when you can make it work. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had I. Had... A fairly similar sort of start to um, what you've mentioned as well. Um, again, like like yourself, when I was in my, um, I suppose, early teens, around 13, 14, um, I was also really keen on becoming a musician as well. Not so oh, much okay, a musician. Yeah. I was a, I was actually a DJ back then. And, um, uh, you know, it started off as just something that I was doing at home and then, did, you know, DJing at parties for friends and family and stuff like that. And then as I got older and... Then I started DJing in clubs and uh, very cool. You know, yeah, took it took it a bit further, and did that for quite a while. And um, when I went to university as well, be- well before I went to university, my intention was always to to study music as well. Um, I studied music in high school um, up until the end of high school, but after that, when I went to university, I, I just for some reason I just didn't go down that path. Uh, it kind of changed my mind to you know, right at the last minute. Um, but I always wanted to do something quite creative. I was always interested in like uh, music and drama and art and things like that. And um, it just so happened that I ended up on a computer science degree. Uh, it wasn't my first choice of 
path to take, but that's where I ended up, and I didn't really enjoy it at that time. Um, so while I was doing my degree, in in the sort of evenings and the weekends, I was always um, playing around with Photoshop and just doing doing sort of freelance design work uh, for other people. And uh, this was around the time sort of MySpace was was in its prime, I suppose. And um, yeah, I used to spend a lot of time sort of designing MySpace pages and putting together just like small websites about about music or about like my favorite artists and things like that and that's kind of where I started um so yeah we took took a fairly similar sort of sort of route where you know musical roots and then ended up in sort of design and uh yeah the sort of web industry it is yeah I was just thinking about that because I also uh you know I, I did a little bit of that myspace hacking and uh, I had, you know, I guess I did have friends in high school uh, that were that were interested in web development, and it was that that would have been my first introduction to it was, you know, seeing them make make stuff and be a little bit interested in, in a way that wasn't really active, right? I knew it existed. I knew kind of what the different pieces mm-hmm. and parts were, but you know, it wasn't until college that I uh, found out that you couldn't use an ID twice on two HTML elements, right? Like <laughs> I was that level of undereducated until later. Well, it was a lot harder to find the answers back then as well, wasn't it? It wasn't like Stack Overflow wasn't really a thing and uh, there wasn't a million blogs about web development. You might have might have picked up a magazine. Uh, you might have a subscription to like Computer Arts or something. Um, and there was a few a few. Uh, web development sites and blogs but yeah there was a handful of them uh, at the, at the and, best. and it was actually you know early early high school in fact eighth grade maybe before high school and maybe even earlier I remember I picked up a book in the library that was you know make your own website or write your write html or learn html hmm. and uh, I remember reading that and not really doing anything with it but reading it and thinking wow I actually remember distinctly thinking that every page that I ever visited, somebody hand-coded that page. Yeah. (laughs) Which I had no idea, you know, back then I had no idea about PHP or (laughs) eventually I was like, wow, you can, you can create templates and reuse them. That's awesome. You know, (laughs) and there's there's so much that you learn that. Yeah. Maintaining websites when there was static HTML was a nightmare, way. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maintaining parity across them. Yeah. I can only imagine the people who first got, you know, Pearl on Apache being really excited about that. Yeah. Developers have it too easy these days. So, so now, now you're hosting uh, Developer T, uh, which is obviously a development podcast. Um, so what is it actually inspired you to, to start a podcast and You've been going for around about two years now, is it? Yeah, so it's coming up on three years in January. Uh, so it's around the corner from now to be three years. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I people ask me what inspired me to start it. And I, I want to answer that question. And I also want to answer the question, what inspires me to do it now? Because mm. um, it, the original inspiration is still there. But as it's gone forward, I've learned more and more uh, well, we'll get into that in a second. The original inspiration uh, for this it, it really comes down to the fact that I was listening to podcasts uh, originally before I started my own. And the podcasts I was listening to, you know, I, I love Shop Talk. I love 
uh, uh, listen, I mean, there's a variety of them. I'm not going to list all of them, but shop talk would be a really good one for a web audience. I imagine that you and probably others have been listening to shop. Talk. Yeah. You know, the rapid fire episodes and all that stuff. You know, I could listen to those and really enjoy the content because it was highly relevant to me and, you know, connecting personality rather than just reading a blog, having the personalities and, you know, that, that kind of warmth tied with something that was really specifically geared for me, right? As a web developer or as a software developer, really specifically speaks to some of the things that I think about and care about. Yeah. The problem that I faced with all those podcasts was the length of them. And because, you know, let's say I have five podcasts sitting in my in my playlist queue, whatever, uh, that I'm sus- subscribed to. Well, very often five podcasts can take up eight hours of your day. If you were to listen to them back to back, they would actually take a, a long time. And even with the 2X features on Overcast and skipping the silences and all that stuff, uh, the the length of them was often prohibitive for me because I have like a two minute commute. That's another great thing about Chattanooga, <laughs> by the way, is it's it's not super congested. Yeah. So to get to work, I'm I'm like around the corner, right? So I found myself having to curate and kind of roll the dice on which one is going to be the best one to listen to, and I hated doing that because I really did enjoy all of them. Yeah, you'd have to limit yeah. the number that you subscribe to, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, they're all coming yeah. out at quite a regular schedule, so you're going to be hit with this hour episode at least once a week. So, yeah, it can very quickly build up. Right, and and I'm really bad at listening to them while I'm working. But what I found uh, another inspiration that helped me get to where I ended up doing, like, helped me finally decide to do developer tea. Was actually uh, there's a Ruby programmer named Avdi Grimm. Mm. Uh, Avdi creates Ruby Tapas, and Ruby Tapas. If you're not familiar with Ruby Tapas, basically what he does is he creates these five to eight minute videos usually, and he's extremely focused and he shows one concept, and he does a lot of them. He has like 500 tapas. So what I found myself doing is you know I was learning how to how to build better Rails applications. I found myself going and watching a Ruby Tapas video whenever I would take a coffee break. I'd go and grab a cup of coffee and I'd sit at my desk and I would watch Ruby Tapas. I was like, you know, this is kind of the format that I want this kind of media in. Yeah. I want training in this format and I want podcasts in this format too. So I decided, you know, I, that was kind of brewing in my mind a little bit, no pun intended. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I really had for a long time wanted to start a podcast. When I was in my master's program, I'd even designed a logo for uh, <laughs> anybody. Feel free to take this. But uh, it was called, and you know what? I think somebody actually has created a podcast called this now. Uh, but it was called uh, Front to Back yeah, and it was going to be about uh, uh, front end and back end development. Yeah, I subscribe. I've been a subscriber of Front to Back. They're two guys from the UK. Okay, well there you go. So uh, <laughs> I was going to create that podcast, but um, not that one. But you know, I, I had an idea for a, a show called Front to Back, and I never went through with it, partially because the plan to do it was you know to do a Kickstarter, and really it was just a uh, way too much for me to actually get started. Um, yeah. I could have done it, but it would have been a big investment. And ultimately, I decided, well, it's too big of a risk. I don't have I, I don't have the time to risk 
that much on it. Before I started my podcast as well, I was throwing around some names on a on a spreadsheet on a, on a Google spreadsheet with uh, with a friend of mine, and one of the ones that we wrote down was Back to Front. <laughs> there you and, go. Um, it was only until and I I remember I th- we had a list of about five or six names, and I decided to put them all into iTunes and just see if anyone had them. And uh, Front to Back came yeah. out. Uh, it came up in the search, and then I thought, okay, I'm not going to call it Back to Front. It's going to be too similar. Um, but yeah, their, their podcast is really good as well. Um, that's awesome. You know, I, I had the idea of doing the Kickstarter from, uh, uh, if anybody's wondering why I even thought about doing a Kickstarter, you know, Roman Mars, the 99% invisible, somebody told me he had made like some crazy number, uh, uh, of, of pledges on Kickstarter, like some, something like a million dollars, uh, running a Kickstarter for his podcast. And I thought, man, if he can do that, then, you know. Why can't I? Who who knows what this thing is? Um, but ultimately, that was the wrong that was the wrong perspective uh, for me to have. Number one, um, and number two, it was too much on the front end for me to get started. And I don't recommend anybody start at Kickstarter. I, I think it's again we'll get into that if we need to. But yeah. Um, so I, I started kicking the idea around and asking friends, hey, wh- what do you think of this? Um, developers, my wife asked her. I asked uh, people who are not developers but work in the industry, um, what do you think of this idea? And I pretty much unanimously got, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I didn't get like rave reviews. You know, nobody was like, man, that's going to be really successful because, you know, people throw around ideas in this industry all the time, right? Uh-huh. And that's actually kind of a, a, a thing that I tell people now is nobody's going to believe in your idea as much as you do, right? And just because somebody isn't super excited about it doesn't mean it's it's doomed or it's not going to be successful. Uh, it's one person, right? So take everybody's opinion with a grain of salt. But I continued doing research. I uh, popped some names into iTunes just like you did. I was first going to do something related to coffee because that was that was my experience Mm -hmm. i took a coffee break and i watched you know videos training videos whatever um of course coffee is really saturated on developer or on a uh, on itunes so i had to shift gears a little bit and uh i came up with developer t and shot the name around to a few people uh and they kind of gave it thumbs up and so yeah at, at that point you know we've already talked about my uh history as a musician I already had recording gear. Uh, I had the stuff set up. Well, I had it in a closet, actually, but I could set it up pretty easily, and uh, I, I could actually just sit in front of a mic and start recording. And that was truly one of the biggest um, factors for me, the biggest factors of success. You know, I mentioned already that doing the Kickstarter was too much, right? There's too much before I got to the first listen. Before I got to the first moment where an idea was was communicated to a listener. Yeah. And so because of that, this is like the opposite approach, right? You come up with an idea and the, the fastest, like getting in front of the microphone as soon as possible was like kind of the key, the key differentiator. I didn't even know it at the time, but getting in front of the microphone became really a, a extremely uh, important uh, kind of step in, in that process. Uh, so I, I recorded a bunch of episodes and released them kind of expecting like, you know, kind of like a blog, right? Yeah. You don't write a blog post thinking, man, this is going to explode. 
right? Like that's nobody does that. Yeah, you're lucky if you get one or two reads on a blog post, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, I I hit a few lucky strides, uh, to be honest with you, and uh, those lucky strides, you know, there's multiple ones along the way, and uh, you know, the rest, as they say, is is history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that was kind of the driving purpose is to fill this, you know, this format niche. Um, but also to, to talk about things in a, in a kind of a broader perspective kind of way, you know, I, I want to discuss softer skills or I want to discuss, uh, you know, uh, how as a person you should approach your work, not just how as a developer should you approach your work. I think it's good that you've, uh, you've chosen that format as well, because there, there are obviously a lot of tech web development podcasts out there and, um, majority of them including mine to an extent does um does focus more on the sort of technology and the techniques and you know tips and tricks and things like that and uh, people don't really talk about you know what it takes to actually be in this industry and be a good developer and just be a good co- be a good co-worker and and all those sorts of things um so yeah I really I really love the format and um thank you very much I think it's taught it's taught me a lot as well um just to you know, on on persona and uh, on attitude and and um, just sort of giving me a bit more respect about uh, a way to sort of respect my peers and respect other people's opinions and things like that as well, uh, which I think is really inspiring. Yeah, that's that's the goal. You've you've explained why I still do it today. Uh, uh-huh. Is is that exactly? I've j- I just had a quick look on on iTunes at, at your list of episodes, and it looks like you're you're well over three hundred now, aren't you? Um, oh yeah, I'm around uh, four hundred and forty or so. Okay, iTunes is only showing me three hundred, but I remember, I remember you did a, you made a big deal of the three hundred and sixty fifth episode because of the that's yeah, equivalent yeah. of one a day for a year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember listening to that one. So yeah, over four hundred episodes. So how do you, um, how do you fit that into your schedule? I suppose um, obviously four hundred ep- episodes at a regular schedule. Are you doing three a week? Um, I am doing three a week. Yeah. At one point I actually did four a week for like a month. Uh, but I actually got reviews that said that the quality was suffering. So I had to, had to scale it back down a little bit. So, so three episodes a week while being CTO of an agency and juggling your sort of home, home life. Um, yeah. I'm a new father as well. If you, if you want to pile on there. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, this is a good question. Um, because, I think a lot of people, well, let me back up and say that I've been extremely lucky. Um, there, there are a lot of things that go my way when it comes to, uh, uh, these, these episodes making it out. I think there's some things that everyone can do that I do, uh, Mm -hmm. that I don't think are, are unique to me that anybody can really take advantage of. So I'm going to talk about some of those things now. Um, well, first of all, I do, I should give a lot of credit to the team that I work with. So, uh, spec, you've mentioned spec. Um, yeah. spec was started a few months into developer T with the hosts of, uh, design details. And we had very similar, uh, uh, audience sizes. We had very similar tones, um, you know, similar kind of approaches to what a podcast should be. We had uh, guests that come on, you know, their format's a little bit different. They're a little bit more polished than I am in some ways. 
Um, they have two hosts rather than one. They don't really do monologue style episodes, etc. But overall, we had a lot of overlap and we, we decided, hey, you know, we could really benefit from combining our efforts and doing some scale work together and that kind of thing. So we created Spec, uh, me, Bryn, and Brian uh, created uh, Spec. And uh, not too long after we started the company, uh, Sarah, uh, who, who is currently, she's actually full-time with Spec now. Uh, she's, she's transitioning into a leadership role at Spec. Um, she is... Uh, she's a huge help in getting this stuff out the door. And so what that has allowed, effectively she edits uh, all of the episodes uh, and she helps keep me on schedule. She actually does a lot of the sales work. She's very, she's kind of a, a you know, multi, <laughs> a multi job um, genius at spec basically. But um, that has really helped because what that means is the time that I spend working on developer T can be 100% focused on production and creativity. And I, I use that word kind of tentatively because I don't mean like just thinking creatively. I mean, quite literally coming up with ideas for episodes. Sure. So that's really the hurdle for me. Uh, recording the episodes, because they're short, doesn't take a ton of time, uh, uh, which is another benefit of that of that format, right? Uh, recording them doesn't take a lot of time. Coming up with the idea is the most taxing part of it. And so allowing me to spend the time coming up with the idea, that's hugely important. So uh, having that team, you know, if you're, start, let's say you're starting a podcast soon and you want to, uh, you know, get to that same uh, uh, spot, then outsourcing would be the way to do that, right? If you don't have a team, then outsourcing some of the editing work uh, is actually surprisingly not too expensive to do. And especially if you're looking to make this kind of a professional endeavor, it's probably worth it. Um, okay. So I don't want to undersell that. But there are some other things that I do that I think can help pretty much anybody. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of go through those. The first one is that I leave my setup ready to basically press record at any time. So that means like I never take my mic down. Uh, my computer stays perpetually on and my, all of my recording gear is just ready to go. Right. I have one spot that I do these episodes in unless I'm traveling to a, a conference or something, but typically, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm doing it right here, standing in front of this desk that I'm, I'm staring at right now. And as long as I have that stuff set up, then I know that the barrier to actually getting something started and, and recording I, don't, I just press two or three buttons and I'm going, right? And it's kind of like that, you know, uh, uh, there's been some stuff that comes, that's been coming out recently about barrier to entry when it comes to working out. And uh, the, the recommendation now is put on your gym clothes. And then if you still don't want to work out, then you don't have to, right? Uh, that first, that first, whatever that first hurdle is, if you can make that first hurdle as small as possible or eliminate it entirely, right? Then progress is going to be easier for you. That's thing number one. Yeah. Uh, thing number two, uh, that I, that I do to keep this schedule up is I don't get so attached to an idea that I let it, like, I don't record an idea and not release it. Right. Like I don't, 
I don't waste time being so overly critical of the stuff that I'm recording or the ideas that I have that I let it like destroy an entire recording uh, session. Uh, I try to be as critical as possible on the front end, but ultimately, you know, I have over 400 episodes. If one of them is bad, that's okay. If I fail miserably on like five episodes in a row, that's actually not the end of the world, right? It's not horrible. If I stop recording, if I lose my schedule, that is bad. Because once you throw that off, uh, it's very difficult to come back from that. So um, the lesson to be learned there is take the idea as more valuable than you expect it to be. In other words, you know, you can have an idea for an episode. You can have an idea for a product. You can have an idea for pretty much anything you want to make. And you're going to have self-doubts that uh, ultimately could kill it entirely. And that means that it never even has a chance to prove itself. Your idea is just, it dies. You already fail when you do that, right? Uh, instead, you know, especially when you're doing stuff like what, publishing stuff like this, uh, it's okay to have a few bad ones in there, right? It, it's okay to to release something that ultimately, if you could go back and, and erase it, uh, you might, but not everybody's going to like everything you do. And that's that's okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I, do, I had a conversation with uh, some friends of mine a, a few episodes ago now, um, where I Firstly, I was struggling to think of a, a topic. It was a, I, I didn't have a guest on, so I, I wanted to I wanted to stick to a schedule, but I didn't really have a topic to to talk about. Um, and they encouraged me to basically. I had a few ideas, and they basically encouraged me to to do it no matter what. And I didn't have I had a bit of a sore throat that day as well, so the recording didn't come out good. And I was I was very close to just scrapping it and thinking, mm-hmm. you know what, I'll just I'll just redo it some other time, or I'll just skip this week. Um, but yeah, uh, my friends, they sort of talked me into it and they, they said, no, you've got to stick to your schedule no matter what. It doesn't really matter about the quality. It doesn't matter about the topic. Uh, even if it's a, a two minute episode, it's better than, than zero. And, um, yeah, I was really glad that I pushed it out. Um, I just, I still do find it quite difficult to stick to the sort of schedule that you're on. Um, obviously a couple of times a week. Um, my episodes come out maybe once a fortnight. Um, yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's just something that I'm trying to work on as well. Um, but yeah, no, no, that's really good advice, uh, that you've given there. And it's, yeah, it's interesting to, to know your process as well. And I think it's really important how you've got your setup ready to go all the time. Unfortunately, I don't really have space in the house to, to have a permanent setup. So, um, Mm -hmm. after each recording, I do pack my, my microphone away and it goes into a box and gets put you know in the cupboard sort of thing and then when I'm ready to record I kind of need to wait till the house has quietened down a bit uh, and then uh, I, I do my recording in the lounge uh, because I don't have a, a specific space where I could do it and um, I need to wait until you know the rest of the family's not in the lounge and they're doing yeah. their own thing and yeah, it, it is a barrier and it does uh, it doesn't stop you from keeping up that schedule and keeping up the flow but um, yeah yeah well, and, and for people who are in, in similar situations, and for you, uh, uh, I would recommend a few things. One, um, schedule time that you know 
as going to be successful, right? Yeah. So I, I always do record at the same time. I always record in uh, the evening yeah. from around about 8.30 to 9 o'clock. Um, yeah. Today we're recording a bit later because of time zones, uh, you know, but that's fine. Um, but generally when I'm doing a an episode by myself or I've got a good guest that's in the UK as well, I'll try and schedule it in around 8.30, 9 o'clock because generally that's a good time when people yeah, are winding yeah. down for the evening and they've got some free time. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a difficult thing. You know, it's, uh, space is important for audio, uh, production and, uh, having that barrier, you know, it absolutely is going to affect it. So, uh, another thing though, that, that may help, and this is less related to, you know, the procedural side or the, the recording side, and it's more related to the idea generation side. Um, mm. because for me, you know, that's really important. I, putting out three, uh, episodes a week, means I had to come up with something around 150, you know, valuable and unique ideas in a given year for episodes. Um, and that's, that can be daunting. But, uh, what I've found is, uh, if I separate and batch that idea generation process away from producing an episode. So in other words, if I try to uh, generate, I call it a blast file. Uh, which is kind of a weird uh, title, I guess. But uh, I have a file in my uh, uh, note-taking application called Developer T Blast. And what I do in that file is I try to, every time I touch it, I try to come up with five to ten ideas for episodes. Now, the key here uh, for anybody who is listening and you want to generate ideas like this, the key is... Don't judge the ideas as you're going through them, right? So, like in other words, don't stop yourself from putting something down. And this is a, this is just a basic brainstorming technique. It's nothing new, um, but employing it in this way basically it means that I have this treasure trove of like a massive list of things that I can pull from whenever I'm feeling like ah, oh, this is not my brain's not firing on all four cylinder, all six cylinders today, you know, right. It's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm slow today. Well, I can go and look at this place where I've captured that brainstorming. And do you try and, um, create some sort of schedule at that point or do you come back to that later and cherry pick the ones that you want to do in, in the order you want to do them? I'm really bad about scheduling. That is one place where I'm horrible. Um, a lot of times I have recorded an episode the day before it airs. There's been plenty of times where I've been, you know, three or four weeks out in front um, and it vacillates. I'm really quite bad at, at sticking to a specific schedule, partially because, you know, especially with having a, a son and a child in my house now, um, you know, the, it becomes a little bit more uh, undeterminable. Right. It's it's difficult to know exactly when I'm going to be free and exactly, you know, and as a CTO of a company, I have to remain relatively flexible on that end, too. So, you know, the only real uh, uh, protected time that I could ever really have is super early in the morning. And for whatever reason, my brain is not ready to record a podcast at 5 a.m. So no. <laughs> uh, and not to mention guests. Right. So uh, that's a, that's another factor in, the, in all of this. So I'm, I'm really bad at scheduling what I'm actually okay at doing with this list. And what I found is, is kind of the, the valuable thing for me is when I have a spark that comes from that list, if I look at the list and I say, wow, I have like six ideas right now on that particular title, right? That's, that's basically what this list is, is a bunch of titles with maybe like 
uh, one sentence explanation of what that could be about. Um, you know, immediately if I record it, I can get an episode done. And that's like that having that is, has been the key to being able to stay on schedule for me. Uh, it, it's less about finding a specific time, even though I would benefit from that. I need to preach that message to myself, certainly. Uh, yeah. But I, I've been able to succeed by being able to translate a spark into a finished thing and, and doing it in, you know, a short period of time. No, that's brilliant. And uh, yeah, I think the, the fact that you obviously hand off the editing to uh, another member of the team as well just means that you can, you know, dump out your ideas on th- in your microphone. Yes. And not worry about, you know, uh, any retakes or any, uh, you know, cutting out any umming and ahhing and, and uh, all the all that fun stuff of editing. Um, yeah, I actually quite enjoy the editing process. I do the editing myself. Um, so it is fun. It is fun. Yeah, I actually kind of miss it. Yeah, I do like doing it, and uh, I do try and make it as polished as possible. Um, so I might on an episode which is an you know going on an hour like like we are today, I might spend about two two and a half to three hours on doing the edit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will generally record on. A particular day towards the end of the week like like today we're recording on a thursday i normally record on a thursday or a friday and then i spend maybe a couple of hours on like a sunday evening doing the ed- editing and then publish on a monday or tuesday um and yeah i really enjoy it it's a, it's a but it is a time consuming process and I, I you know i understand why you've got someone in your team to do that for you so that you can sure. focus on the actual the, the talking and the recording um, well, it's kind of an interesting thing, uh, and I, I, I haven't talked about this, I don't think, ever uh, on, a, on an interview, but the way that I record my monologue episodes, um, you might consider that editing as I go. Um, right. Because I'm, I'm pretty quick with the recording software. Like, I'm, I'm proficient with it because I've been using it for so long, like, much longer than I've been uh, recording podcasts. So I can pretty quickly, like jump back and re like do a retake right and and it's that's easy for me to do um so it makes sarah's job you know the editing much faster and you can't really do that with an interview style thing right so like if i didn't word something correctly i can stop it and cut that and re redo it and she doesn't have to do a lot of that deep editing it's more like yeah you know she's making space for uh, uh sponsors or she's you know, she's organizing where the music goes or whatever it is, but it makes her job a little bit faster as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, with the two, with the the interview type of episodes for me as well, most of the time is spent uh, getting rid of like crosstalk um, yeah. and just, just, just adding a little bit of space between the conversation as well, just to give it a bit of room to breathe sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, with the monologue ones, it's, yeah, it is a lot quicker and you do have the flexibility of stopping and starting. Um, sure. I, I, I find the monologues a little bit harder. Uh, I, I just find it, I just find it a bit difficult talking by myself about a topic. And so I find that those edits do take me longer because I do stop and start a lot more as well. Um, yeah, like anything, it took me a lot of practice to get to the place where I felt comfortable with that. Yeah. Maybe in two. Yeah. So I've been going since March, so. I'm yeah. sort of two and a half years behind you at the yeah. moment. Um, it gets easier. Yeah, it, it has been getting easier. Yeah, the first episode I remember, I was ner- I was a nervous wreck when I first started, but now it's I'm fine with it now. Uh, 
and I really enjoy it. Yeah, so. I probably spent a full day on my first ten minute episode. You know, like it's it's uh, it's taxing. Yeah, yeah. My first one was a little teaser of what's to come, and it just took forever. I mean, yeah. the, the teaser yeah. took longer than the actual first episode, which is funny. So, so when you when you um, teamed up with Brian and uh, Bryn for to join Spec, did you already know them beforehand, or was this like internet friends? Uh, this is actually a connection I made on Twitter with uh, with Bryn. Um, Bryn reached out. He's an, he's very good at communicating uh, with people he doesn't know, <laughs> uh, which makes him a great interviewer. Um, but he reached out and and basically, you know, we we kind of talked for a little while before we decided to uh, actually start a business. So it kind we kind of knew each other. You know, we knew of each other. And then, you know, but we didn't know each other before we started podcasting. Uh, so it was entirely driven off of this. In fact, and this is the very strange uh, uh, fact about our history together. They started their podcast, if I remember correctly, on the same exact day. Uh, I think on the same day that we started ours. So you were competition to start with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of weird because it's like a Venn diagram you know, they have a lot of people who would never listen to developer T and I have a lot of people who would never really listen to design details. Uh, but we, we do have that overlap of like you who would listen to both. Yeah. Yeah. I was a subscriber of both before spec started. And That's then, so cool. Yeah. Then all of a sudden I noticed that you both got this little logo on your, on your yeah. <laughs> uh, show. Artwork and like, what is that coming from? Part of the yeah. same team. Yeah. Uh, when you had the S in the circle, which is uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I was, you know, listen to design details now as well, and I like their format as well, where they've got interviews with obviously loads of people yep. in the design mm-hmm. industry. Um, but yeah, they're they're really good at what they do. Brilliant. Um, so, how do you yeah. guys uh, expand the network? How do you sort of decide which podcasts you pull into the network? Um, uh, by and large, the 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 people who have joined the network, uh, they have come from um, mostly the valley. Right. So mm-hmm. Brain and Brian, they both live in San Francisco and I live out here in, uh, in this kind of barren <laughs> place of Tennessee. Right. Uh, even though there are uh, there's a lot of growth in tech and there's a lot of there's actually quite a few podcasts that are popping up out of Chattanooga. It's not nearly the same as what's happening in California. Uh, so they have largely been responsible uh, for making those connections and finding people who are doing really interesting stuff and bringing them into uh, the spec network. So, um, you know, I haven't been extremely involved in each of those decisions, but really it comes down to, you know, are you making something that kind of fits the mission of what spec was intended in the beginning for? And and are you making it to a, a quality level that is, you know, that we can see that it's going to do well for you and for us. Yeah, the Spec Network is brilliant. I mean, all the shows are really good on there. I listen to, the one, the ones I listen to the most are probably uh, Design Details, obviously Developer T. Um, Immutable mm-hmm. um, is, a, is a one that I listen to a lot. Um, and I used to listen to one of the, um, I can't remember the name of it now, the one that uh, Sam Service does, uh, his iOS one. Um, oh, yeah. It was mm-hmm. just while I while I was learning a bit of iOS development, but I've kind of put that onto a bit of a back burner now. 
Um, but yeah, they're all really good. They've all got the same sort of quality and uh, yeah, it's a brilliant network. So if anyone who's listening hasn't subscribed to the Spec Network, you definitely need to have a look at all the podcasts on there as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And if you haven't subscribed to Inspect yet, you should <laughs> click subscribe in your podcast app right now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so what what else are you working on right now and what, what's the sort of future with, with Spec and Developer T and have you got any plans that you... In the pipeline. Good questions all around. Yeah. Um, so uh, developer T is not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, I, I I see no reason to stop it. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they they do these things for a run. And, you know, we might play with the format. Uh, I've definitely considered going into video. I think it's a very important space that I'm not really, uh, haven't really pushed into at all. Um but I think there's a lot of opportunity for uh, interesting engagement and, you know, slightly different types of content, like explaining, you know, difficult math concepts, for example. That's not really something I can do super effectively uh, in a podcast format, but yeah. I might be able to do that with video, right? Uh, it's also more a more saturated format, so, you know, that's that comes with its own challenges. Uh, I, I've certainly considered building course materials. Uh, something that I'm, I really believe uh, uh, a significant portion of my future is going to be in teaching other people. And uh, what better way to start than creating online course material, right? Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of in the back of my mind and on the horizon a little bit. Um, the, the network is going to continue in its current form for now and very likely will grow as new media uh, uh, opportunities are presented. So, you know, for example, uh, uh, Apple is kind of moving podcast meta to support at a native level, this concept of seasons. Um, yes. and developer T has never had seasons, right. which we're always on. It's like the news or something, right. Um, mm-hmm. because you know, the season type podcasts are typically going to be story driven or, you know, but a lot of people are attaching to this concept of, of, recording and releasing seasons and doing a little bit more work per episode, uh, high production value stuff. The NPR podcasts obviously were kind of the, on the forefront of that and have created a new type of podcast. So, you know, I'd love to see, and I don't know if this is going to happen in the near future or not. I'd love to see that kind of thing, uh, uh, on the spec network. I think we have a big opportunity, uh, to, to create good media in that space too. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, some of the stuff that, yeah, obviously, NPR, the production value on some of their podcasts is amazing. Uh, you can obviously tell that they've got a lot of people, a lot of people working on them, and they've got a good budget, and they've got a lot of time and dedication. Yeah, very uh, well resourced, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is a it is a big publishing platform, isn't it, NPR? But yeah, there's, there's absolutely no reason why Spec couldn't get there. It's definitely got the talent, and it's got the content, and it's got the following as well, just by looking at the the Slack channel, you can see how many people are, are interested in the content where Slack is kind of over over capacity now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we've moved to uh, to Spectrum now. Of course, yeah. Uh, officially, the, the community is on Spectrum and, uh, and that, that allows us to kind of open up a little bit more and, and uh, invite different types of conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings me nicely on to um, just before we sort of wrap up, is there anything that you'd like to like to plug and um you know where can people find out more about you and and well, uh, sure. the, the work yeah. you do yeah uh, 
I'd love to ask you uh, a couple of questions as well. Um, okay, sure. Before, yeah. before we close out, uh, these are these are questions that I usually ask on Developer Tea, but I like to ask them as a guest too because people want to hear about you. Uh, yeah, sure. Hopefully, hopefully as much or more than they want to hear about. <laughs> you. So, uh, <clears throat> first, the first question that I like to ask is, if you were not you and I were to go and and grab a cup of tea together, sit down, and you know have an hour to talk. What do you wish I would talk to you about or ask you about? Um, okay, so I, I mentioned I mentioned earlier that I kind of started off as a designer uh, while I was while I was at university. I was uh, I didn't study design, but it was always like a passion of mine. And um, when I first got into working in the industry, I was working as a as a designer full time for quite a few years. And then I've uh, sort of transitioned into a developer over the past five or six years, front-end developer. And I think a lot of people who kind of know me now, they know me as a developer. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's always... Uh, I, I always love talking about design as well. And uh, I love talking about things like composition and typography and, you know, colour theory and uh, logo design and things like that. Um, and I like talking about the the, the way that... Uh, you can kind of bridge the gap between designers and developers um, and how they can work together more efficiently and um, sort of help each other in their roles and uh, help produce like a a, uh, a more polished product in the end. Um, so yeah, if anyone does ever meet me and, um, you know, start talking about development, ask, let's talk about design as well and let's talk about the whole picture, not just the uh, sort of go down one avenue let's talk about the whole process of design development front end back end uh yeah i like to i like to sort of get my fingers in a lot of the pies as well um user experience and all that sort of thing as well that's excellent because it truly is you know uh i actually just did an episode of developer t on this subject it is a uh, a trait of great developers to zoom out and look at how what they do affects the larger whole Right. Uh, yeah. how, how does development affect, you know, how does the thing that I'm creating, for example, and, and this is this is why. Right. If you are a software developer and you uh, you want to optimize your software. Ask the question, why? Why do I want to optimize the software? Right. If you end up, if you ask the question why a few times, a lot of times the the younger or uh, uh, developers who who are uh, limited in their perspective, they will end up at a I'm not sure or I'm I don't know, I'm not sure why, but I know I'm supposed to, right? I know it's mm -hmm. the right thing. I I feel somebody has told me before that to be a good developer, I need to have fast software, so that's why I'm doing it. But the truth is. Optimizing your software has a value, an underlying value that connects to the other parts of the system. Whatever it is that you're building, that optimization should be with relation to the other things. Uh, I saw a tweet recently from uh, somebody who works on the React core team, I believe. He was talking about uh, uh, a common uh, complaint from developers or, or kind of this like best practice uh, he basically presented it as a myth that creating functions in your render call is going to uh, make your program slower. Yes. And he created a, a, a test case for this and basically said, 
it's imperceptible uh, how much slower it is. It's like you can do, you can create a new function. Uh, you can do like 5 million of them per second. So there's no perception level that you can have or that your user users are going to have that's going to defeat that and, and make that optimization worth your time. And so just optimizing for the sake of optimizing would have you remove code like yeah. functions in your rendering that could be extremely valuable from the human readability perspective, right? Uh, and there's so many other things we could talk about there, but it's really good that you have that as kind of a value uh, and a driving core, you know, piece of, of how you think because having that integration, that integrated perspective is so important to creating good products and in collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, I actually saw that tweet as well. It was uh, by a chap called um, Ryan Florence. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, Ryan. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was about um, having arrow functions defined in, in the render render method. Yep. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he had a few J, uh, JS performance tests on, and uh, showing how sort of, negligible the difference was and uh, mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting to sort of take a step back and look at it from that perspective as well yeah, so yeah that's yeah. that's something i'd like to i i enjoy talking about it. i do enjoy enjoy talking to people outside of um development about the bigger picture yeah yeah that's yeah. great and the, the second question that i want to ask you if you had 30 seconds of advice to give to developers of any uh, background or uh, uh, any experience level. So really any developer, uh, what would you tell them? Uh, you're, you're not timing this, are you? <laughs> I haven't actually got 30 <laughs> seconds. Um, okay. So I would say, uh, don't be afraid to show other people what you're doing and what you're working on. Um, share, you know, share your, share your ideas with uh, the community, share them, share them with your peers um, don't really sort of be afraid that people might steal your ideas. If you've got an idea for, you know, the next big thing app, um, an idea is, is nothing without execution really. Um, so by sharing your ideas, you, it may help you execute it. And if you, you know, if you can inspire someone else to, to help you or, um, to sort of critique your work or, you know, give you some sort of evaluation, um, then that, that could, you know, that could help you, uh, in, you know, achieve what you're trying to achieve as well. Um, you know, the community, the tech community is really good, especially on Twitter. You know, people do tend to give really good feedback. Um, yeah, just, just tell people what you're doing and, uh, be, yeah, it, be quite open. It's, and that is such a great piece of advice and, and perhaps, uh, you know, the, it's so good because most people don't do this well. Uh, uh, mm. criticism and coaching and guidance and, and feedback. These are all things that are, ex that, that are extremely difficult to receive, uh, just as a human, right? Uh, it's harder for some people and also something that you had to practice because yeah. a lot of times, you know, it's, it's very easy to walk into a session where you're going to receive feedback and feel very connected and confident uh, to to the thing that you've created, and when you receive negative feedback, it can be really defeating, right? Uh, you can attach a lot of emotion to it, and and that can be difficult to overcome. But if you practice this, and if you actually act on it, right? If you don't quit and roll over and say, "All right, well, since that was bad, then I'm done," 
Instead, if you say, okay, I'm going to actually take this feedback, I'm going to act on it, I'm going to trust that I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I did another episode recently on the concept of humility and how humility is the base, kind of the foundation core for everything that we do as developers. Humility is what allows you to learn, right? It's what allows you to collaborate. It's what allows you to to understand the value that other people provide to the project, even when you can't perceive it. It's what makes you realize that you still have work to do. So that's yeah. kind of a core concept. And if you can't find humility, then you're never going to be teachable, right? And so taking that feedback and really actually seeking feedback, seeking the opinions of others, you know, what you're going to realize is a lot of times uh, uh, you're going to be right. And a lot of times you're going to be wrong and mm. you have to be able to be wrong uh, to be a good yeah. developer. It doesn't really matter whether you're right or wrong. Is the, the main thing is that you've, you've got a concept in your head and you've got an idea and you're, you're thinking about it and you're, you're seeking, seeking some help and advice from, from other people. And if you're right, you can help other people. If you're wrong, they'll probably be able to help you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, so I could probably say that in 30 seconds, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's good. That's good. Okay, brilliant. Uh, that's that's all I've got from my list. And, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, you know, we finally got there, finally managed yeah. to schedule it. Yeah. In. Um, yeah, it's just like I said before, if there's anything that, where can people find out more about you? Uh, you know, where are you active and how do they find out who Jonathan Control yeah, is? Yeah, uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, personally, uh, at Jay Cottrell, you can find the Developer T Twitter account at Developer T. So those are pretty easy. Um, I'm most active on Developer T, to be honest with you. Uh, you can find it in any podcasting app, of course, iTunes. Uh, so it's just search developer and it's one, it'll probably come up, uh, because believe it or not, there's not a lot of podcasts for developers with developer in the title. Um, <laughs> so uh so developer t and then yeah. uh uh yeah that's that's pretty much all i really push and then of course uh, if you want to learn more about what i do uh with whiteboard you can find more information on that at whiteboard.is whiteboard.is and i'm open to email too if anybody wants to reach out to me uh developer t at gmail.com is a is a perfectly fine place to send me a message yeah, brilliant. Okay, and I'll I'll put a, a bunch of links uh, to all of your stuff in the show notes as well. So, Thank have you. a look at the show notes in your podcast player or on the website at inspect.fm. Um, but yeah, just to just to wrap up, you know, um, thanks for being on the show, and uh, I'd love to have you on as guest again sometime in the future, and maybe we could talk about what you're working on in the future and uh, where spec and the whole network has gone and. Yeah, pick some pick some topics and have a bit of a deep dive. Sounds like a plan. I'd I'd love to come back. I, it was it was very enjoyable. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, you've given some brilliant advice. I think uh, a lot of people will get a lot of um, a lot of valuable information out of this episode. Uh, so yeah, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Brilliant. Thanks. Take care.